What exactly does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to see the humanity of others? Regardless of your religious or moral framework, there's an instinctive sense within each of us that whispers the truth that being human matters. Life is neither a progressive issue nor a conservative one. It belongs not to Republicans nor Democrats. It is an issue of respect for all of humanity. It is an issue of hope. It is an issue of wisdom. And for the Christian, especially the right to life, it is a biblical issue. We have the master, we have the mandate, and we have the message that will change people's hearts. One's worth and dignity does not come from one's usefulness. It comes intrinsically from the image of God. We can stand for the right things, we can express compassion, we can be consistent and persistent, but we love at all times. We become the people who point to the most vulnerable, the people whom society discards, and we say, we see you, you have value. And most importantly, God sees you. Welcome to Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C. We're opening up 2020 with a special month-long series on human dignity, exploring the implications of this theological truth on life, ministry, and the public square. I'm Jeff Pickering, your usual host of this podcast, but this week we have uh, my friend Chelsea Patterson Soblick interviewing her friend Janet During, the executive director of the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center. Uh, it's a just fantastic conversation that Chelsea and Janet have talking about why this theological truth of human dignity matters, particularly for vulnerable vulnerable women and their unborn children. Janet has uh, just a wealth of experience and just tremendously inspiring stories from years serving right here on Capitol Hill in our neighborhood where the Leland House is. People throughout the city that are experiencing either unexpected pregnancies or just the challenges that come along with having a newborn and, and being a new parent. Um, they're exploring things in, in, in fatherhood as well, working with single dads of, of newborns. And she shares just some incredible stories with Chelsea, and I'm really excited for you to hear their conversation. And I will just say, we had to stop multiple times in this recording just to just to catch ourselves, uh, because Janet's stories of Christ's transformative power brought us all uh, to tears. Uh, so here is Chelsea and her interview with our friend Janet of the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center. All right, so today I am so excited about our guest. We have one of my um, friends, my dear friends, and someone I just respect immensely. Uh, we have Janet, um, the executive director of the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center, which is just a few blocks from our office here in D.C. And Janet, um, welcome to our podcast. We are so, so excited to have you. Well, you, I'm probably more excited because I've never done one of these before. We're thrilled. We're <laughs> so thrilled. thank you so much for having me and giving me an opportunity to talk about the work we do and what uh, what really is happening throughout the country with helping people who are in abortion situations or in unexpected pregnancies. We're just really grateful. Well, Janet, you and I go back probably about six years. I think um, so. Which I'm just, again, 
thrilled that you're here. Um, when I first moved to DC, I knew I wanted to volunteer somewhere, mm-hmm. and the church I was going to at the time was very involved in the the center, and so that's how I got connected to you. And I volunteered in a variety of capacities, um, and we've just gotten to work together um, in those capacities, and it's just been a joy to see the center flourish and you lead that work. So I would love for you to tell me just a little bit more about the Pregnancy Center. Um, how was it founded and some of the work you guys do today? Oh, fine. That's great. But before I do that, since you brought up your work at the center, I want to thank you publicly and that that you represent all the volunteers that have come and gone and are there right now who will come in the future. You're just one of many. And we are so grateful for the volunteers we have. So thank you, Chelsea. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And the center was founded in 1885. So this is our 35th year this spring. And so we're about to celebrate that anniversary. And uh, it was founded uh, by a group of people out of Washington Community Fellowship who uh, connected themselves to a group called the Christian Action Council, which is known today as CareNet, which is one of our national associations. And the other national associations is Heartbeat International. And we happen to be fortunate enough to be able to be a member of both of those associations. So when when the congregation or a group of people in the congregation uh, decided they needed to do something uh, to help people in crisis pregnancies, the Christian Action Council guided them with their constitution and bylaws and the policies and procedures and help them, which is what CareNet and Heartbeat do today. And um, so that's how we got started. And then, as I said, the building, it was there from 1885. And it's real interesting. I'm just going to throw this in quickly because it's an interesting yeah. historical fact in the city. I worked there for many, many years before I had the time or took the time would be the way to say it, to do research on the building because it does not, when you walk in, it doesn't look like a house. And so I thought, what could this have been? And I did the research and found out that in 1885, a young man named Christopher built it, and it was a it was a liquor bottling plant, and he was put out of he was put out of business mm-hmm. in prohibition, and uh, and then he got a franchise for a grocery store, and the grocery store was called this was was a franchise was Sanitary Grocery Company, which is somewhere in history became uh, either was absorbed by or became uh, uh, the what did I say earlier safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and so it, it was kind of exciting to find all that. And then then uh, somewhere along the line, it became a dry cleaning establishment, and then a group of investors purchased it. And uh, we purchased it from them. And uh, so we're very fortunate because we one of the interesting things about it here in Washington is, is uh, we have almost 4,000 square feet to serve all these wonderful people. And Which we still huge. Well, and, but we also still need more yes. space. So we use neighboring churches for certain kind of mm-hmm. meetings and other spaces for, for different types of, of help for people. But anyway, it's just an interesting, interesting old building. I invite anybody who wants to tour it to set up a time with me. And it's not hidden stairs. Ways and it's got a tunnel to a, a vault in the street. Um, and I so did not know that. It does. It, you know, down where the baby clothes are uh-huh. always kept? Okay, it's at the end of that row, and it's a tunnel you can go through. We don't go through it, but it's there. Wow. That's <laughs> anyway, so, so we'll get back to the business of the pregnancy yes. center there. <laughs> yes. And it, I mean, it's conveniently located. There's bus stops nearby. Oh, absolutely. There's metros close Well, in a parking lot. Yeah, which, yeah. again, is unheard of. Unheard of. On Capitol Hill. Right. Um, so... How did you get connected to the center? You've done this work for a number of years, which is remarkable because I imagine in these types of jobs, there's a lot of burnout and you've you've sustained 
in this work. So how did you get to the pregnancy center? Well, I was actually a supporter by way of my pastor's wife, and she was on the board of directors and invited me to one of our fundraising banquets. And so I began going to those banquets and became a donor. And then <clears throat> there was a, a need for a new director. And um, my Marianne, the, my board member, uh, called me, my pastor's wife, she called me and, and just said, I, I know you have a good job. And I think her words were, you probably make decent money. And she said, but this is ministry and you wouldn't get a lot of money. But she said, would you even consider applying? Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, I will. Mm -hmm. And and so I did. And that's how I got the job. And it'll be 17 years in February. And I'm very, very, you talked about burnout. That very first year was interesting because um, a member, one of our donors called me and said, you need training with CareNet or Mm -hmm. Heartbeat. And they sent me to the CareNet conference that year. Um, and that got me, you know, gave me some background of Christian Pregnancy Center work. And um, it was interesting because the class I sat in said there was at that time, they said the burnout rate for, for executive directors of pregnancy centers was about three years. So, to, But, you know, in all honesty, when you take care of yourself spiritually mm-hmm. and physically and you take care of your staff and the, and the board looks after you, as my board has always mm-hmm. done, um, you know, you're able to stay there serving the Lord for 17 years. So that's great. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it really encourages me to see you be faithful in the work the Lord's called you to. And I... Um, well, it's easy when you have <laughs> wonderful people helping you. Um, it, it's It's been encouraging, um, not only to me personally, but I know to many um, in this city. Can you share a little bit about what the issue of abortion looks like in D.C.? And for those that might not live in the city, what that looks like in our particular city and the types of clientele that you serve and some of the services that the the center offers? Well, let me just kind of tell it the way it Mm -hmm. comes. And it would be this. It would be that uh, let's start with our client base and talk about the fact that uh, we serve in a large teenage population, inner city Mm -hmm. African-American teenage population. Uh, that's the largest percentage. And um, when I say teenage, I actually say let's go into the early 20s. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but we also serve women and girls of any age. And um, and we're also seeing a father a fatherhood mm-hmm. program happening at the center. So we'll, you remind me to get to that at Absolutely. some point. But we we started off we start off by saying that we offer uh, at no everything we do is at no cost. So at no cost um, pregnancy testing, and it was real interesting because uh, up until about a year a year and a half ago, our teenage population was much larger than it is right now, and now it's slipped a little. And we were not we were not sure why, but we knew that nurses in the schools and other organizations, pastors in their churches, they knew that if if they had someone that came across their path, they could send them to the center for not just the free pregnancy test, but for options education uh, and hopefully helping them um, choose life, but truly, genuinely, without trying to pressure them in any way at all. We work very hard at that. Uh, we want them educated. We want them to make that educated choice. And our our percentages of people keeping their baby once they have come to the center, our, that percentage is very high mm-hmm. once they've come to the center. And they've, they've talked it through. They've learned about their own bodies more. And you go through the whole process. The interesting thing is that the D.C. school system, uh, you know, they now they now can uh, there are there are actual clinics within many of the high schools now. So the morning after pill Mm. is available to them through the clinic. So we're seeing less 
pregnancies, <clears throat> anyone needing a pregnancy test. And we assume, we don't know for sure, but we mm-hmm. assume that's one of the reasons. Fascinating. Yeah. That's very, very interesting. I, I wouldn't have put this. Even thought about yeah, that. That's really, really mm-hmm. interesting. Well, and the, and, but the other thing is when you help someone, you, you've talked with someone, no matter what age she is, forget what, whatever age, because we serve, we, think of all the universities in Washington, D.C. So we have university uh, women who come. We have women who have good jobs here in the city who, even though they could buy a, a pregnancy test, this has kind of mystified me for a long time. And then I finally think I figured it out. And that was, why does somebody who could afford um, a pregnancy test want to come to us? And they're really looking for someone to talk to, somebody they think they can trust and somebody that they really don't know. They're not confiding in a best friend who will never forget if she chooses abortion. Mm-hmm. For instance, she's she's often thinking, I know this because I've asked some of these women that I've gotten to know very well and feel like, you know, I could pick their brain on on this particular topic. And it's been very interesting to see that no matter what what economic lifestyle somebody has, they're still looking for that person mm-hmm. to talk to that they feel safe with. And Christian pregnancy centers like ours offer that. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's we but but helping them keep the baby, uh, guiding them in that direction, if if you want to use that as the word, because we really are educating and it is their choice. We do not force a choice on anyone then it's wonderful if she leaves and keeps the baby, but then what do you do, especially if her economic situation is bad? So we have a massive amount of material support, but that's because the people in this city and outside the Beltway who know about our work donate their baby clothes. We have women who knit brand new blankets all the time for us, and the list goes on and on. People donate diapers. And we're not a diaper bank. We don't supply the full need of a Mm -hmm. diaper for someone, but we do give an emergency supply. Mm -hmm. But for instance, a young woman called today, and she's going to be due in a a month, Mm -hmm. and not quite a month, Mm -hmm. actually. And she has nothing. And she said, I, someone told me that you helped, your center helped a long time ago. And she na- named the person. I remembered the person. Mm. And she said, I said, what is it you need? She said, well, I need a bed, which we do not give away the cribs mm-hmm. uh, for, for insurance and legal purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, we, but, uh, but in Washington, D.C., a baby can li- can have as their bed a pack and play for the mm. first year of their life. That's a, le- that's le- a legality. Yeah. Yeah. And so we do have pack and plays to give them. And so we talked about that and we talked about the car seat. And we're connected with the motor vehicle department who supplies vouchers for brand new car seats. And a family can get one. Mm-hmm. So if they have multiple children, they they can only get the first one or whenever they choose that one. But anyway, so before we were done with the conversation, she had an appointment to come in. Now, she was not anyone who came to us about her pregnancy. She just heard about us and needs the material mm-hmm. support. But imagine that that someone is choosing life after coming to the center. Now we walk with them. We walk with them with, with uh, at no cost, again, childbirth classes taught by professionals and a parenting program that's extremely extensive. And um, and let me mention the parenting program for a minute. It's real interesting. One of my favorites. Is it one of your favorites? Yes. Well, we have a Thursday night class, and that Thursday night class is pretty interesting because any of our clients of any age can come to that. But we also have a parenting program in high schools here mm-hmm. in this district, and we t- totally honor the separation of church and state. And, and we have an extremely professional um, program with that, and we've had some certificate awards from, from that program. 
And so we, with the parenting program, um, one of the things that has happened over the years is sometimes when a when people, a parent, a couple, mm-hmm. a single mom, a single dad, <clears throat> or whatever, they appear before the court right. because of a first first uh, child abuse, a first charge of child neglect or child mm-hmm. abuse. They're often told that um, in 30 days in jail or 10 hours of parenting training, and we're on, you know, we're one of the people on a list for parenting training. So we get a lot of those court-appointed situations. And it's it's sad, but it's good all at the same time, because as a faith-based organization, when you come to our Thursday night program, which is where those persons would come, when you come to the Thursday night program, volunteers, uh, like your youth group yes, used to yeah, do, your yeah. young group used mm-hmm. to do, uh, you provide a meal uh, for them. So from 6 to about 6.45, the family, we teach them to eat with their children and participate dinner with their family and use that as family time. And then from that time, after that's done, babysitters take care of the children while the parents are offered one of two things. They can come to Bible study for the next 15 to 20 minutes, or they can do journaling. Which is optional, right? It's optional. Yep. Mm-hmm. So nothing, again, we're, we're separate. You know, we're not mm-hmm. forcing our faith on anyone. We're, we're literally showing the love of Christ mm-hmm. is what it boils down to. And so then they choose that nine chances out of 10, if they don't go to the first Bible, first time they're there to Bible study and they don't go the second, they're almost always there by the third because people start talking about it after the class is over I and now they're that. left out. I love you know? that. So <clears throat> they, they make their choice mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. So that element, I mm-hmm. think, is extremely important. And uh, we do, we have a growing fatherhood situation in this city where more and more fathers want to stay in the lives mm-hmm. of their children, mm-hmm. but they're not married to the mother of their child and no longer even being with that mother anymore. And so we have, and, and some do come as couples, you know, some are married, some are not married, and they come as couples. So whatever way you want to design that, more men are showing up. So we are in the process, and we do break them when it comes time after after the dinner and then after the Bible study or journaling, mm-hmm. then they have an hour of parenting training, and mm-hmm. it's, it is a formal training class. And so we have we separate the fathers from the mothers because there's different viewpoints yeah. on parenting there. And we have wonderful Christian men who lead that fatherhood class as well as the women. Well, actually, Raquel Terry leads that, who's the head of our program. She's great. Yeah. No, I'm so glad that you talked more about that program because I— some of my work here at ERLC is in the foster care system and on a personal and professional level. And I'm so, so, so encouraged to see you guys doing that work mm-hmm. so that a child never is removed and enters into the system. And I think what you have to offer families is hugely important. And so I, I, I so love that you really approach the issue of abortion multifaceted with providing material needs Spiritual needs, if wanted, just really seeking to wrap around. Well, and, and you know, along with all that we've talked about, these these mothers and fathers, whether they do it together or individually, they can come back to the center and meet with a counselor just to talk about what, mm-hmm. you know, they they might be getting a fresh supply of, of blankets and baby clothes, but at the same time, they're unloading on how, you know, this is harder than I thought it would be, or, or gee, this is what mm-hmm. am I supposed to do? And mm-hmm. the one, the clients who get to know Raquel Terry and her support system on teaching mm-hmm. as far as parenting skills, it's surprising how many times they question her on mm-hmm. how do I handle this discipline situation mm-hmm. or 
Um, and you know, some of you know, we have a we have people who come in and talk about how to give your children dental health. I mean, very mm-hmm. basic things that you and I might take for yeah. granted. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's pretty extensive and extreme, extremely helpful. I think. Um, I would like to I would like to talk for a minute though about the fathers Absolutely. because a young man, if I may tell a story, a young man years ago actually showed up on a really cold winter day at the center and he had on a puffy jacket, mm-hmm. real one of those fluffy puffy mm-hmm. ones, and it was way sticking out. And I, you know, he looked like he was overweight. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> Ann Wink, if you remember Ann Wink, who was head of our volunteers, he came running upstairs and said, You have to meet this young man. And I came downstairs and he had been, he was a father who, um, he was no longer dating the mother of his child mm-hmm. when she gave birth, but they, he wanted to be this child's father. And so his girlfriend had left the baby with him and said she was going, his former girlfriend, mm-hmm. the mother of his baby, had left the baby with him and said, I'm going shopping. And then she never returned. Mm-hmm. And days later, he found out she didn't want to be a mother mm-hmm. and didn't want the baby. And she went to New York and left him with the baby. And I have to confess that he was probably the catalyst to wake me up to the need of these single dads mm-hmm. and get us to start with the fatherhood side of things. Mm-hmm. It's been a slow start, and we're growing each day, um, but it's wonderful. But he came that day because his baby didn't have a coat, mm. and that's why he he looked so heavy set. Was the baby he was underneath his there. coat, <laughs> and um, so we helped him for a very very long time. And in, in in conjunction with, he ended up needing housing too. Not that day, but later on, he needed mm-hmm. some housing. And uh, the Orchard uh, Church in uh, Northern Virginia had an apartment that they would put homeless people mm-hmm. in and help them transition mm-hmm. back to the working world into normal life. And it happened to be empty at the time. And I, I called the pastor and uh, Doug Ellis, and I asked if we could move this boy in there with his baby. And then the men in our church mentored him. Sorry. And that was, I'm going to tell you how long ago that was. That was 13 years ago. And he wrote me an email Christmas I'm sorry, I'm going to cry now, audience, (laughs) and said thank you. Mm. And he showed me pictures of his son, who's a star athlete. And um, I mean, it's just beautiful, Mm. you know, just just wonderful. And so one needs to remember that as much as we're talking about helping all these Mm -hmm. people, it's really one person at a time. And if you start lumping them together, you can lump. We can lump them together in a conversation of what is it we do. Mm-hmm. But you have to approach every one of them as who they are at that moment and what is their need, mm-hmm. and show the love of the Lord each and every time. And that's when life changing things happen. Mm-hmm. So I have tears in my eyes now too. That's such a. I've just been handed a handkerchief. <laughs> such a powerful story, and I have heard you share a hundred more like that, and it just. I love hearing your stories because it points to, like you said, that individual one-on-one work of being faithful and, you know, sometimes, many times, and I'm sure you know much better than I do, but it's the, it's, it's slower. Mm-hmm. People, you know, people are messy and I'm messy and people change slow and it's not on a, you know, quick and mass produced scale. And so I really appreciate that reminder um, of just the slow, steady, faithful work. And it's an individual, um, individual basis. And um, I, I, I truly do love hearing your stories. What, um, what do you think that the church needs to know about pregnancy resource centers? A lot of our audience 
might want to get involved or we have, you know, pastors listen, what, what do you, what do you want the church to know about pregnancy uh, resource centers? I'm thinking about this a minute. Um, the first thing I guess I want to say when you say it that let's talk about the pastor leadership for a minute and, and starting with that. But then I want to, and I might ask you to repeat the question if you can. One of the things to know is to look out for them to recognize in their audience. And I know people know this, but it's a recognition that you need to say of um, the fact that you have women, not just teenagers, women of all ages in today's society with an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy, and that no judgment should be shown, but love and guidance, and that they should know they sh- that we, sh- we centers need to connect ourselves with the churches so that the churches know who we are, and that we're a wonderful resource for them to send uh, their client to us when they're in that situation. Uh, none of us, none of us, I mean, a pastor included, none of us have the answers to everything or how to handle every situation. So let let pregnancy centers, faith-based pregnancy centers, lift that burden from you. Mm-hmm. But it would it's also wonderful if if they would allow us to, and some churches do, allow us to, in, to you know, kind of form a bond with mm-hmm. a group within the church, not just women, but men too, especially with these fatherhood program happening for the center. But to, we want to get into that as well well and and we want to build volunteers from there mm-hmm. um, to help us and not everybody's called to do this just like I'm not called to do other things I'm this is where I'm called and, and I'm good at it because I'm called there and I want I want people there who who feel that that's what they want to do not because they have to fulfill some kind of volunteerism for somebody and uh so the other thing I want them to know about is that a lot of people um in their church, you know, the one statistic says that one in three persons sitting in a pew, uh, in a church pew um, or seat, um, or and another one says one in four. I don't know which is right. I don't really care. That has they've experienced an abortion in today's society. Uh, it's easy to experience an abortion because it can be hidden. So mm-hmm. you know, you can keep your secret. A girl can go off to college. She can she can be a strong Christian. But find herself in that situation and say, well, nobody's ever going to know. But then she lives with that hurt within her, or she might not. I'm I'm never going to debate and I'm never going to argue with someone who says they're uh, about the, the, the phrase is post-abortion syndrome, where you regret your, your you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, some people will say that does not exist in today's society. Well, I've seen it, so I know it does exist. But it doesn't necessarily exist for everyone. I would never say everyone who's had an abortion suffered because of it. I'm, I'm not. That's not what my, I'm going to say. But I am saying that I've seen people come to the center, which is another program we have, post-abortion healing, and these people come, and they don't. You know, they often people who have had past abortions and suffer from that often don't recognize that the symptom, the things that are happening in their lives might be related mm. to that past abortion. It could be years later. There was years, so quite a few years ago, a wonderful group called Vitae bought 200 bus, two, they filled 200 buses with bus ads for our center and one in Chevy. 
and the Northeast Pregnancy Center. Mm -hmm. And they bought bus ads saying free abortion alternatives Mm -hmm. and 22 ads on each of those buses and 200 buses. And they bought them for a month, but they didn't get taken down for about six months. So we had a lot of nice publicity. That's very nice. And we got a lot of phone calls. But one day I got a phone call from this woman and she, I answered, someone said she wanted to talk to the head of the company. And they, I took the phone call and she said, you should be ashamed of yourself. And I said, ashamed of myself. And I said, who is this? And she gave me her name. And, and I said, well, this is Janet Durig and I'm the director. What did I do? She said, those are horrible ads on those buses. Free abortions. And I said, free abortions? Did you read the next word? Oh. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, alternatives. We want to help someone know that they have a choice. It's not, they, it's not a free abortion. It's a free abortion alternative and meeting. And I said, let me explain to you what our client advocates do. And I explained how a client advocate meets with a client who's a, who thinks she wants an abortion or maybe doesn't even know, but needs it to pregnancy test and how we, um, we, we don't, we don't show her pictures of embryos. Mm-hmm. We, we, if she wants, you know, once she knows she's pregnant, we offer, would you like to see where your baby is at this time in your pregnancy? Everything is done by asking. And I said, so I went through the whole thing and I, I I talked about all the other programs we have, the material support that we do, the 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 whole gambit. We just went through everything. And then I said, and oh, by the way, one last thing, we do offer post-abortion healing uh, program. And then she started to cry. And she said, oh, Janet, she said, I'm 70 years old. And she said, when I was 16, my mother made me have an abortion, oh my and then I never got pregnant until I was 35, and I thought God was punishing me. Oh. And she said, people kept telling me God didn't do that, but I thought he was. Mm. And she said, I gave birth to a son. He's Down syndrome, and he's the love of my life, mm. and I know that God had forgiven me. And she said, I, I can I have that healing? And we did, but we met with her one-on-one. Mm. We did not put her in a group. Mm-hmm. The, the groups are usually four or five or six people at a time. And so we, we handled her just, uh, you know, gently with, with just a one-on-one because of her age. Mm-hmm. I, um, Wendy, the woman yeah. who, does, Wendy she, still lead, yes, does yes. she still lead it? Well, not only does she lead it, did you know she, she wrote, wrote a book? A book. Yeah, yeah, Transforming I Your Story. Recommend it's beautiful. to everyone. Right. She is just dynamite and care so, so deeply for those women. Exactly. um, Have deep respect for her as well. Um, So if a woman comes to the center pregnant, wants to keep the baby, but at that time does not feel like parenting is the right option, what options does she have? Well, she basically has adoption. Mm -hmm. And um, we are connected with all the licensed adoption agencies in Maryland and Virginia and Washington, D.C., I would be honest and say to you that we've only come close a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that we do see here in the city is that they either keep their baby or they abort their baby. Mm -hmm. We we have not had a client who ever finalized their abortion. We've had clients come close to doing it. But in one case... um, well, they ended up keeping their mm-hmm. babies. Uh, one in one case, though, a woman really wasn't well and was forced to because the father. The law in Washington D.C. is the father has to agree, mm-hmm. and um, and it's if you can't find the father, and they advertise in the newspaper and so on. The adoption agencies do and you can't find him, then that adoption could go through. But this mother was desperate to have help. She already mm. had four children, and she was not well. And um, 
they, you know, they found her husband in another state and he wow. refused. He refused to allow the baby to be put up for adoption, which caused her to keep the baby. Mm. And she loves the baby, but she she really struggled. And we we helped a lot. We tried to help her a lot to get where she, and we did help her get on her feet. Mm-hmm. But she was willing to let her baby have a home with a mother and a father because of her own situation. Mm-hmm. And um, he, her husband, who won't pay any child support, who has fled from the area, doesn't see his children yeah, ever, yeah. was able to stop that adoption. Wow. So, Jana, as we are uh, beginning to wrap up, I have one more uh, question for you, and I'd love to end here. But how is your work, your approach to your work, different because you are a faith-based organization and you are a person of faith? How is that different than um, a a pregnancy resource center that chooses not to operate from a faith-based perspective? Well, I can only speak to my side of it, which is the faith-based, the Jesus-centered pregnancy center, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you you know, we bathe ourselves in prayer every day. Uh, we we ask God to guide us to, to um, the right answers to, you know, we put Him first and um, and it's we know that we know that true healing comes through the Word of God, and so obviously as a faith based again not forcing our faith on anyone, but we do offer Bibles, and there's a particular church about my father's business who never lets us run out of Bibles, and um, just all these wonderful connections that keep us going, and then we have opportunities where some of our pastors that support you know that that know us well are willing to be marriage counselors for some of the couples, and they're. They're wonderful to be, you know, to to bring them into the congregation. I, I'm reminded of a I'm reminded of of a, a woman who came early one morning, and I was there alone. And she was I'm I'm you know five foot seven, and she was probably five foot eight and built much bigger than me, and not not in a heavyweight, but like she could have wrestled me. And she also looked like she was on drugs. And I was there alone, and I said, "Oh, Lord, help me with this one." And uh, I, I said, "Can I help you?" And it was it was before we opened, and I said, "Can I help you?" And she said, "I need a pregnancy test." And I knew she was high, and I kept praying for protection. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Okay, Lord, don't let anything go wrong." And we went into the counseling room, and we talked for a long time before she took the pregnancy test. And she said, "I'm not going to be able to keep it." I mean, she had she had this common sense about where she was with her addiction and mm-hmm. where she was with with um, uh, just herself, where she was. And that she, I said, "Did you?" And one of the things we do, Chelsea, if you remember from your counseling days, you remember that. On our form, we do ask. We we make them know that we're faith based, and we ask, "Do you have a religious background of any kind or faith of any kind?" And we make it very clear that we're not. That's no judgment in that. It's just record keeping on our part. We just want to know where you are. And there's a lot of people in Washington D.C. who have come to us. A lot of young women who have come to us. That grandma took them to Sunday school and mm-hmm. church, or a church bus came and got them. Mm-hmm. So they know who Jesus is, but they haven't lived a Jesus life. They haven't. They haven't continued in that growth. They haven't gone to church and so on. So this woman that day was one of those women, and she opened up about mm-hmm. that that morning and started talking about it and. And so it gave me a real opportunity to witness to her. And and she said, but I don't know. And she was with me for, I mean, the staff came. They went to work. The door was closed. And, and you know, they knew I was in there with somebody. And uh, and it was like two, two and a half hours or something like that. And when she finally left, and she was pregnant, and I was able to give her, a pro- based on her, her menstrual cycle, I was able to give her her approximate mm-hmm. date, not as a doctor, but just using the cycle card uh, when her baby would be due. 
and she said, I just, I, I have no right to keep this baby. Look at my life. Look at what I've done. She also told me she was, I said, where are you living? Can you give me an address? And she said, well, across the river. And she said, over in the Minnesota area, Minnesota Avenue area. And she said, I'm living in a crack house. Mm. And I said, how do you get in it? And she said, through a, a board, you know, the one of the boarded windows, somebody loosened. And I said, do you know how many stay there? And she said, approximately 14. So she had all that down. But mm-hmm. let me show you how God really works, because this is really cool. She left. I even walked outside on the sidewalk with her and hugged her when she left. And I said, I'm going to be praying for you. I know it's okay because you let me pray with you. And and I said, you know, if you need to talk, if, if you if you go through with your abortion, you need to come back and talk. If you keep your baby, come back and let me help you. Uh, we'd be happy to help you. And, and just did everything I could possibly do. And she walked on. And months and months and months and months and months went by. And now we're, now we're like, I remember it was summer and somebody called and they said, there's somebody down here who'd like to tell you something and visit you. May I send her up? And I said, okay. And I thought, well, mysteries are mystery. <laughs> and she came into my office and she looked beautiful and I knew her immediately. And her hair was beautiful. Her skin was glowing. She had on a beautiful flowing white dress with embroidery on it. I'll never forget the moment. And she said, do you remember me? And mm-hmm. I said, yes. And she said, um, I had my baby. It's a boy. Oh. And I said, really? Sit down and tell me about it. And I yeah. moved over on the love seat with her, and we sat there and talked. And she said, I said, you have a story. You're mm. transformed. Yeah. You are totally transformed. She said, I have to tell you. Because one thing I never mentioned, Chelsea, mm-hmm. in this interview is we always offer prayer. Mm-hmm. If someone says no, we don't force a prayer mm-hmm. upon them. But every counselor in every session, we offer a prayer. And that day I offered a prayer. <laughs> and she um, she said yes, mm-hmm. and I prayed for her. And I, I c- couldn't tell you what mm-hmm. I prayed mm-hmm. that, you know, months yeah, later, yeah. right? She's practically quoting it to me. Oh, my goodness. And she said, I went back to the crack house that night, and I could not rest. I could not sleep. And she said, I went another day, and I couldn't. And finally, I went to my aunt's house, and I said, she said, may I sleep here? I've Mm -hmm. got to dry out. I'm pregnant. I want to keep this baby. I need to dry out. I need to get right with Jesus. She said, I don't know what else to do. And she said, while I was drying out, you know, which was Mm -hmm. hard to do by myself, she said, I would take a walk. And this is across the river Mm -hmm. from D.C. And she'd say, I'd walk up and down these streets. And she said there was a sort of a deserted Mm -hmm. strip mall, Mm -hmm. a small one. Mm -hmm. And she said every night, every night she'd walk past and there'd be singing of hymns and and praise songs coming from one of those storefronts, but in the back room. And she said she did this for a long—she did this for days and days and days into, like, the second week. And she said she she this one night she just thought, I'm going to walk in there. And she walked through the empty part to the door to the back room where people were singing, just as the pastor said, if you want to clean up your life, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, come forward. And she said, you know what, Janet? She said, I just kept walking. And so as it turned out, which is— part of God's plan. She said, she said, he said, he afterwards when she talked to him, he said, well, let me explain something to you. I have a house 
and it's over over here. And he said, I take people in who have addictions. And he said, it's a hard program that I put you through. And he said, you'll scrub the same floor every day over and over again because you're fighting fighting this. But he said, if you don't if you don't heal biblically, it'll never really be healed. And she spent she had come with a handwritten invitation for me to come to her graduation from oh that program. My <laughs> so that wow. is, you know, you can't. For true healing, you and I as Christians know it comes through God, and we see that every day at the center. I mean, we help many people that we never see again. I do think there's going to be a rolling screen in in, in, in heaven where I'm going to get to see, oh, she kept her baby. I hope <laughs> you, you know, did, too. You know, those types of things, but it's, it's really uh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's the difference in the two. Well, that is a perfect place in this podcast. Um, I've cried multiple times uh, <laughs> while you've been sharing your stories. And I know we could sit here truly for hours and you could share a thousand more stories. True. Um, and maybe we'll have to have you back on and share more stories. But thank you um, from the bottom of our hearts for what you do and your faithfulness to the Lord and being a light on 7th Street for for all the unborn babies and the women and the men and um, for caring well for this city. We are very, very grateful. And thank you for joining us for your first podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. We're, thank we're you. glad you were here. Well, and I appreciate this time too. And it's wonderful to let people know what we do. So thanks for that opportunity. This is Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C., Thanks to our production team, and thanks also to you for joining us today. Resources from this conversation are available at ERLC.com to equip you and your church.